Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. One for podcasting. The PSAs you hear on Miller and Condon and iHeartMedia Des Moines are presented in part by Nick Mick. We take care of our own. Now, here's Miller and Condon. Sports Station, 1460 KXNO, 106.3 FM. Steve Forbes, he's in. Wake Forest. Good hire. I think so, too. Boys, we waited a long time for this. Yes. He had the uh, show cause. Yep, did. That certainly impacted Part of Pearl's still. Yes. Uh, but East Tennessee State is where he was. He's now in the ACC at Wake Forest. Lone Tree, Iowa native. How about that? Making his way up to the ACC, Danny Manning just one NCAA appearance during his tenure at Wake Forest. It felt like for a long time after things were shut down that we weren't going to have any major moves in college basketball. But then on Saturday, did you notice when Wake Forest did that? Saturday, right during the draft, when the announcement came down. You're looking to certainly bury the story when (laughs) Usually Friday night at 8 o'clock. Right, right. And they very well could have done it then. Instead, waited until Saturday. But kind of got lost in the weekend. But very quickly moved to Steve Forbes. The dude recruits. The guy wins every place that he went. He went to a crappy Juco in Florida that never had success. And he won a lot of games there. And then he went to East Tennessee State that hadn't had success since Mr. Rogers was running around. Remember... You weren't no, you were in the state at the time when Iowa played as East Tennessee State in the first round of the NCAA tournament. What is it? I don't ninety. Well, I was here. Well, I was. I was. Well, I was in Denver from ninety one to ninety four. What year was it? I, I want to say the guy's name was Mister Rogers. Doesn't yeah, it does a, a it little does. guy? Yes, he smart, it does. He was a small point guard. Mm-hmm. I got to find this now. Iowa East Tennessee State NCAA tournament because. It is going to bother me. What year was that? Well, you while you check, yes, we can listen to the governor of the state oh. of Iowa, who is apparently making her way to the podium. Now we'll get the latest numbers from uh, uh, Governor Kim Reynolds, and here she is. Good morning. We'll go ahead and get started with today's press conference. Today we have 302 new positive cases for a total of 7,145 positive cases in Iowa. 89 percent, almost 90 percent of today's positive cases are from. 22 counties where restrictions will remain in place. Uh, 198 of the 302 new positive cases are from Blackhawk, Dallas, and Polk counties. I am sorry to report that this morning we have had an additional 14 Iowans that have passed away due to COVID-19. Today we had 1,028 new negative cases for a total of 35,552. 42,667 total tests have been conducted in Iowa for a per capita rate of 1 in 74 Iowans have been tested. 2,697 Iowans have recovered from COVID-19 for a recovery rate of 38%. 
Beginning tomorrow, restrictions that were put in place to slow the spread of COVID-19 will begin to be eased in counties where virus activity is low or where there is none at all. Iowans in many communities will have an opportunity to shop on Main Street, eat at their favorite local restaurant, or attend church on Sunday if they choose. These first steps are welcome signs that life will eventually get back to normal. But we should expect normal to look a little different and look and feel a little different for a while. COVID-19 isn't going anywhere anytime soon. The virus will continue to be in our communities and unfortunately, people will still get sick until a vaccine is available. Keeping businesses closed for weeks or months longer won't change that fact, and it simply is not sustainable. It's not sustainable for Iowans, their livelihoods, or our economy. We must all learn how to manage the virus in the course of our daily lives. Iowa's expanded testing, case investigation, and tracing uh, capabilities gives us the tools necessary to identify and isolate positive cases, track virus activity across the state, and deploy targeted strategies to continue and manage it for the long term. This enables us to take a very measured and phased-in approach to Iowa's comeback. I believe that we can begin to get life and business back to normal in a safe and responsible way if we all continue to work together and to do our part. My team and I remain committed to doing what's best for Iowa's collective health. Data will continue to drive our decisions as it has from the start. And as we see virus activity, activity stabilize and trend downward, we'll know when and where we can continue to ease restrictions and we'll do so in a thoughtful and responsible way. And we'll continue to educate Iowans about the risk and, and ask you to continue to practice personal responsibility so together we can mitigate the spread of the virus as we continue to move forward. I want Iowans to know that your health and safety and livelihoods are our highest priority. I also want you to know that I'm confident Iowans will continue to do the right thing to protect their health and the health of others. As businesses start to reopen and you begin to interact with in public again, it's just as important that you continue to take all steps necessary to prevent exposing yourself and others to the virus. We know that COVID-19 spreads quickly and easily when people are in close proximity, which is why social distancing continues to be extremely important. Whether you're out in public or just outside in your own neighborhood, please continue to stay at least six feet between yourself and others. Careful hygiene is also a simple but highly effective way to reduce your risk of getting the virus. Wash your hands, cover your cough, and dis disinfect commonly used items frequently. Remember that most people who get COVID-19, about 80% will experience mild or moderate symptoms and may not even require any medical attention at all. But for the 20% of Iowans who are at the highest risk of severe illness, COVID-19 has proven to be life-threatening. Older Iowans above the age of 65 and anyone with pre-existing conditions, health conditions, should continue to stay home as much as possible and take additional precautions when you have to go out. Again, we all have a, a role to play to protect our most vulnerable Iowans. Limiting your time away from home also limits the chance that you'll be exposed to the virus. And uh, if you're experiencing any signs of illness, even mild symptoms, stay home. Call your doctor first to see if you need medical attention and take the assessment at testiowa.com to see if you qualify for, for testing.
While things are beginning to change in our state, what hasn't changed is the need to take, again, personal responsibility to slow the spread of the virus so that we can manage and continue to move forward. As some businesses are preparing to reopen tomorrow, many Iowans are also heading back to work. Today, I've asked Iowa Workforce Development Director Townsend to share information about our state's unemployment claims and what Iowans should know about their benefits if their employment status is changing. Director Townsend. Thank you, Governor Reynolds. First, I'll share the uh, number of initial claims that were filed this last week. We're 28,827. The number of continuing weekly claims was 170,990, and a total of $51,408,623 were paid in those benefits. This week, a total of $102,714,000 were paid in federal pandemic unemployment employment compensation benefits to over 153,000 Iowans. Since April 4th, we have paid over 327 million in FPUC payments. A total of $4,810,592 was paid to 13,334 Iowans receiving pandemic unemployment assistance benefits, which are the benefits that are paid to those who are not normally qualified for unemployment. Today, IWD has implemented a change to our phone system so that when you call the 1-866-239-0843 number, after you make your menu selections, you will begin to hear music rather than ringing in silence. You will hear the music until your call is answered. We hope that this will make it easier for people to know their call is in queue and to stop individuals from repeatedly calling and hanging up. Please just remain on the line and your phone will be answered or your call will be answered. I also wanted to address the situation the governor just referenced regarding individuals who are being recalled to work. We want to remind all individuals that if you are recalled to work and choose not to return, you may lose eligibility for unemployment benefits in addition to losing your job. As we indicated, there are a few virus-related exceptions, including if you are diagnosed with COVID-19 or are experiencing symptoms, if a member of your household has been diagnosed with COVID-19, or you are caring for an individual in your household with COVID-19. You, you or a member of your household are in a higher risk category and have been advised by your health care provider to self-quarantine due to concerns related to COVID-19. You lack necessary childcare related to COVID-19. You cannot reach your place of employment because of the outbreak or you have had COVID-19, have recovered, but it caused complications rendering you objectively unable to perform the essential functions of your job. Additionally, if you are for medical or age reasons in the high-risk category, you might qualify for the PUA uh, benefits. We strongly encourage all Iowans to talk with their employers prior to their return to work to understand the measures they are taking to ensure the safety of their employees and customers. We do have a provision in our unemployment code that allows an individual to quit a job if they feel that their workplace is unsafe. However, it takes more than a mere assertion by the employee to establish this to be true.
If an employer establishes that they have taken the necessary steps, such as following industry standards established by OSHA guidelines, providing extra wash stations, additional sanitation areas, allowing or providing PPE, such as masks or gloves, and following appropriate social distancing recommendations, it may be difficult to establish a good faith basis to quit due to safety concerns. As we have heard from the Restaurant Association, industries across Iowa are adding even more cleaning and sanitizing efforts above and beyond what they normally do in order to ensure the safety of their employees. We know employers have always had strong motivations to create the safest working place possible, and they are taking those necessary and additional steps to prevent the spread of the virus in their workforce. They have the same motivation as their employees to remain healthy and to prevent the spread of the disease. And when their efforts are combined with our personal responsibility to wash our hands, maintain social distancing, covering our coughs, and staying home if we feel ill, we can increase the speed of our recovery by getting people back to work in a safe and healthy environment. Thank you, Beth. And again, I want to thank you and your team for all that you've done to support so many Iowans during this challenging time. Uh, you and your team have done and continue to do a remarkable job. Finally, Iowa small business owners have carried a heavy burden during these past several weeks, as many have had to close their doors and let employees go. I'm proud of the work that the Department of Revenue and the Iowa Economic Development Authority have done to support them during this challenging time through the Small Business Relief Program. I am pleased to have Iowa Economic Development Authority Director Durham with me today to provide an update to Iowans about the program. Debbie? Well, good morning and thank you, Governor. Well, last month, Governor Reynolds challenged my team with creating a small business relief program that would provide critical short-term assistance for our small businesses economically impacted by the COVID-19 public health emergency. On March 23rd, I was at this very spot as Governor Reynolds launched the Iowa Small Business Relief Grant Program with $4 million available for allocation. 11, I want you to note that, 11 business days after the program was announced, I was here again as we announced an overwhelming response to the program. Due to this incredible need for assistance, we were able to increase funding for the program to $24 million to assist more than 1,200 business owners. I'm proud to say that 18 business days after we started drafting the program from the ground up, businesses were among the first to close their doors, had some stopgap short-term relief in their mailboxes. The program was developed rapidly to provide rapid relief to small business owners because we know that every day that goes by right now is a critical one for so many Iowans. As of today, a total of more than 2,600 restaurants, breweries, florists, salons, boutiques, gyms, and a wide array of other small businesses that line the streets of communities in all 99 counties have been awarded small business relief grants for a total of approximately $50 million. We have several thousand additional eligible businesses remaining in the applicant pool, and we are working very closely with the governor to be able to assist as many of them as possible in reopening stronger than ever. 
We continue to make award notifications on an ongoing basis. A listing of grant recipients is available at iowabusinessrecovery.com, and it is updated daily. I can tell you that the spirit of our business owners remains resilient, strong, and hopeful for tomorrow. Our team is fueled from the notes that have been pouring in from all over our state, from businesses that are telling us that they are hanging on and will be see us upon their reopening. Among the latest batch, you will find a brewery in Bittendorf, a print shop in Britt, and a gym in Cedar Falls. This week in my inbox, I received a note from Kaylin Henderson, owner of the Airport Road Vineyard and Winery Event Center in Mount Pleasant, that I want to share with you. Like many small business owners, we've poured our hearts and dreams into our little slice of heaven that is our vineyard and event center in rural Iowa. The fear of the unknown and wondering what is going to happen is agonizing to say the least. When I received the grant notification, it brought out all of the emotions. It's a relief as the financial assistance will help us in the short term. And it is also hope, which we so desperately needed. We can't thank you enough and hope you will stop by when we are once again open for business. In closing, I want to thank Governor Reynolds for her continued and measured leadership and support for small businesses as we prepare to reopen Iowa for business stronger than ever. Thank you. Thank you, Debbie. And I also uh, want to just a heartfelt thank you to you and your team. Uh, I know this has been a huge effort in a really short amount of time, and it has made a significant impact on our small businesses across the state. And as I mentioned earlier, COVID-19 is here to stay, and we must learn to live with it. For now, doing something as normal as going to the store or going out for dinner may seem foreign to us. You might even feel apprehensive about it. Each of us will need to make the choice that's right for ourselves and our families. And that includes business owners who may not be ready yet to open their doors. And that's okay. These are unprecedented times, and we're all learning how to manage COVID-19 for the long term. As we have began, as we have been since the beginning, uh, we continue to say we're all in this together. And I have no doubt that Iowans will continue to rise to the occasion, work together, and do the right thing. Tomorrow is a step forward for our state, so let's continue to be safe and responsible as we navigate the path ahead. And with that, we will. I'll open it up for questions. So, one, sorry, a question about the testing that we've been using with Test Iowa. Yep. What were you told about the accuracy of the tests that they're using uh, before they brought them in, in terms of what were the statistics you were aware of of the accuracy of those tests? And are you confident that they're showing uh, a clear picture of? of the people being tested? So we are in the process right now of validating the process. Uh, Test Iowa is located at our state hygienic lab. I think Test Utah is located at a regional hospital. We decided to bring ours into the state hygienic lab through the University of Iowa. So we have the PCR testing in one area and then we have the Test Iowa in another one. So Dr. Pendella and his team is taking all precautions necessary uh, through the validation process to make sure that we can assure Iowans that the results that we are getting are accurate and what they should be. In addition to that, Utah is testing right now. They've opened it up to anyone that wants to test. We're still keeping ours very narrow um, so that they are testing anybody that wants to have tests. Hopefully at some point we'll get there, but we are still in the validation process with the Iowa State Hygienic Lab and Dr. Pendella and his team. 
So does that mean you're not sure that the tests are accurate? Sandra? No, we are, but we're going to validate that at the state hygienic lab. And there's a process that they go through. Uh, they're CLIA certified, so they have to make sure that they make the, you know, that they hit the criteria. And we're in the process of doing that, and we'll be able to report that out once they're complete with the validation. So they'll be able to test both. So it sounds like one of the concerns was that this test requires a higher amount of virus in a sample uh -huh. uh, than what the CDC would recommend. So have have you checked those things out to make sure that these tests are going to be yep. uh, compatible to what you might get if you were yep. taking a test from us? And they would have better. to be because they were FDA approved, so they have gone through the process or they wouldn't have been able to be opened up and utilized in Utah. So they have gone through the process. They'll continue to look at what some of the positivity questions are. In the meantime, as we're going through our validation process based on uh, the requirements that are put in place so that we can assure Iowans that the tests that we are uh, relaying to Iowans are accurate and providing the information that we what, that we expect. And so as we get done, then possibly what we can do is bring, you know, Dr. Pendella or somebody from the team or the Department of Public Health can report out the process that they went through. But I can assure you, because we're on the phone with them every day, that they're taking every measure and taking every step that they can to make sure that they're doing the validation process accurately and that they can feel confident in the results that they're reporting out to Iowans. And that's, you know, I'm, I'm proud to have it at the State Hygienic Lab uh, for that reason as well. When will the state release counting numbers that show positive tests, negative tests, total tests every day like it does for the state? We do. Don't we daily show positive county data? Where you can get on the website and look at each individual county. I think you can. Right. I've looked at so many sites. Yeah. yeah, there's a there's a visualization. Yeah. There's a data visualization on coronavirus.iowa.gov that shows 24-hour um, case counts and then total counts by county. Is that the not not your question? Could be. Okay. <laughs> so I think I think Dave, it shows like right now. But we're we're in we're we're going to make an announcement later this week and Monday. So we're going to continue to enhance. And we've gone through various iterations as we've utilized technology, as we've been able to gather more data to make sure that we're trying to be as transparent as we can with Iowans. And so uh, right now, I think if you go to coronavirus.iowa.gov, um, you see um, the the number of cases, you see the number of deaths, you see the number of recovered that is also um, listed and then you can show if you drill down into the different um, areas it shows how many new cases I not new okay no, no, Governor, you're right. So, okay. so, so there's a map, and if you click on the map, you can see the total number of tests per county and the total number of positive tests per county. So yeah. you have to do a little bit of math to figure out the negative uh, tests by county currently, and that's what the governor oh. is foreshadowing, that I think we're going to move to a new visualization here that will be able to show positives and negatives um, and include that negative information. But it is available right now. You just have to do a little bit of math. And then the positive case counts by county are available, both cumulatively as well as um, on a 24-hour yeah. basis. Okay. So I've been looking at the other test sites. So that's some of my confusion because I've been working in test sites in both. So we hope to even continue to make that easier for Iowans. Are Sioux City hospitals sending patients to Omaha hospitals because of the increase in Woodbury County? 
I don't believe they are, but they have been working in the region and with the surrounding states. All of them have been working together to make sure just that they have a surge plan in place, that we make sure that we have adequate resources, that we have the number of beds, the number of ICU beds that we need, the number of uh, vents that are available. They also are part of larger affiliations uh, in the, the Des Moines area that have been working with the hospitals uh, as well. And so that's, you know, some of the planning and the preparation that's been going on since we started with the pandemic to make sure that we're prepared and ready. Um, there still, you know, could be some possible bumps and all of that, but they've done kind of an unprecedented um, coordination and collaboration between the hospitals, between the critical access hospitals, some of our larger hospitals uh, in Sioux City with their um, hospitals back in the Des Moines area to really walk through how we prepare and are ready and to anticipate any type of a surge that we might see. So, um, and and that area has, the Siouxland area has always worked very well and very collaboratively with Nebraska and South Dakota as well. So those conversations are also taking, um, taking place to see how we can coordinate that as well. Chris, KCCI. Hi there, uh, Governor and perhaps Beth too. We've heard from many viewers who say they have to care for a vulnerable loved one, but they also have to provide for them financially. And they're afraid to go back to work and bring something back, but they're also afraid of being booted off unemployment and being unable to provide for their loved ones. What's your advice to Iowans who feel like they're forced into making a deleterious choice yeah. either way? Yeah. Well, Director Townsend gave a, a pretty significant list of exceptions that addressed, I believe, the situation that you just listed. But I'm going to let uh, Beth kind of walk through again what some of those are. Yeah, Chris, so if you are taking care of a member of your family or live in your household that uh, has been diagnosed with COVID-19, then you would still qualify for PUA claims. You would just need to let your employer know that you're unable to return to work because of the care you need to provide for a sick family member work with your employer to keep them informed and the medical provider of the family member and obviously your employer would let you know what kind of documentation they would need um, to provide you a release to return to work but in the meantime you would still qualify for PUA benefits that pandemic unemployment assistant benefits plus you would still qualify for the FPUC benefits which are the federal pandemic unemployment compensation benefits, that $600 weekly benefit. So you're not going to be in a position if you're caring for a sick family member um, where you have to sacrifice your job or your benefits. What if they're not confirmed to have COVID-19? But they're just someone who your family member is in a high-risk category and you're worried about bringing the virus home. Again, that is something you would need to work with your employer and the doctor of your um, family member regarding what kind of medical risk there would be, where you work, what kind of um, environment you would be working or being asked to work in. But you can work through those situations with your employer if it's determined by the medical provider that you should not be returning to your home from outside, whether it's going to, to do anything or your place of employment, then you would qualify for those PUA benefits and those FPUC benefits as well. All right, that was the uh, governor of the state of Iowa, her press conference from this morning. We will take a time out. Before we do that, we're going to help you. KXNO and iHeartRadio will help you with your bills. Uh, text the keyword WIN. 
to 200 200 right now. It's your chance to win $1,000. That's win to 200 200 You'll get a confirmation text and info. Standard data and message rates apply in this nationwide contest. To finish our conversation to kick off the hour, Mr. Jennings was the name of the guard from what East Tennessee What year was State. it? 1991. 91. Dr. Tom and Company... Of course, it's a victory because it was Dr. Tom, 9-0, in the first yeah. round of the NCAA tournament during his tenure with the Hawkeyes and then followed up with, of course, a loss to Duke in the round of 32. Seemingly but yearly. Not too bad. No, my, my brain going back almost 30 years. Give it to you. Mr. Jennings. Not Mr. Rogers. Mr. Mr. Jennings. Jennings five foot seven guard. Gave hope to us little guys out there. Uh, uh, we'll take a time out. Vinny Iyer from the Sporting News joins us next. We'll get back into the NFL with Vinny from a national perspective. Uh, we take you until just before noon. It's Miller and Condon on Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO and 106.5. Miller and Condon, Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO, 106.3 FM. Some kind of news from the NFL this morning. I don't know what category you'd put it in. Uh, the Chiefs have exercised Patrick Mahomes' fifth-year option. Okay, so there's Shocking. no contract <laughs> extension. No. There's but- no mega deal. No, but, you know, teams have to, there's a deadline for them to do that, right? Oh, okay, you're saying, (laughs) like there was a chance they wouldn't? Well, of course. I thought, though, maybe you were talking about an actual news thing, which would be, they're talking about a contract extension, breaking the bank, highest paid quarterback. It's coming. Et cetera, et cetera. It's coming. I know three teams in the AFC West are looking forward to that day because that is going to put a major, major crimp into the rest of that salary cap. Vinny Iyer from the Sporting News joins the program. Vinny, Trent, and Ken, thanks for coming on. You know, to pick up on Trent's point, Vinny, do you think that the Chiefs will go forward uh, with that next step of making Patrick Mahomes the highest paid quarterback in football this year? Or will they wait? Well, I think they just have to uh, keep talking to him and his representation and just figure out what deal makes sense here because I think they need to get that deal done for several reasons. They need a little bit of cap relief, and if you could restructure contract and get things done here, that will help a little bit. But also to kind of know what their situation is for 2021 because they've got – some considerable things to work out here in terms of free agency. Uh, Chris Jones probably can't be afforded to a long-term deal at this point. So it's a, a tough one because we know the Chiefs, uh, once they pay Patrick Mahomes, it's going to limit them in a lot of other positions, especially breaking the bank for him. So we know that it's already been a tight squeeze for them this offseason. I think they were, they were smart to get a couple starters there in the draft, Clyde Edwards-Solaire, mm-hmm. uh, and they won't be able to re-sign Damian Williams there in 2021. Also think about Willie Gay Jr. at linebacker. I think they just need to find immediate impact players. That's what you have to do there. Uh, you enjoy it with your quarterback for a while as a rookie, and uh, he can uh, become elite quickly the way Patrick Mahomes does. You enjoy it at the highest level like the Chiefs have done, but you kind of have to flip the script. Once you pay the quarterback, then you're looking for those bargains at other positions. So Chiefs need to take care of that so they have a better idea. I know they have other decisions. Uh, I mentioned Jones and Williams, Sammy Watkins, Demarcus Robinson. You figure guys like that are not going to be back next year either. So Chiefs, more clarity to get with Mahomes, the better they can uh, know how they can help Mahomes going forward. 
Vinny, uh, news from the quarterback position today. No surprise, I'm sure, to many as Andy Dalton was released by Cincinnati. They'll go with Joe Burrow, their number one overall pick there. Andy Dalton, where are some homes that make sense to you as we you know, speculated about for a long time with Jameis Winston and ends up with New Orleans? Same thing here. Not a whole lot of spots open for a guy that's had plenty of success in the NFL. Yeah, I think that there's only one spot to me that really makes a lot of sense for uh, Andy Dalton that's uh, going to Jay Gruden in Jacksonville. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was his first offensive coordinator in the NFL when they were in Cincinnati, so there's some history of success there, familiarity. Right now, you just have Gardner Minshew and a very inexperienced backup core behind him, So, you, including uh, Jake Luton, and they just got in the sixth round of this year's draft. So when you consider that, that makes a lot of sense. You're transitioning to a new offense with a young quarterback that you're still evaluating, want to get one more year out of. If you don't think Minshew is the guy, you can just go into the draft and get your quarterback next year. But I think you want to look longer to Minshew. It certainly has brought some energy to that Jaguars franchise. You made some moves there in the draft to get uh, some receiving help there as well with LaVisca Cheneau. So see what he can do. You're making transition to a new offense, a little different from what you've seen in the past. Dalton certainly can be an extra coach, help a young quarterback like that come along. So we knew that Andy Dalton is probably headed to a backup spot anyway. I just don't see the Patriots going after him at this point just because they have very limited salary cap space. And I'm not so sure that Andy Dalton at this point is an upgrade over what their game plan is going to be with Jared Stidham to win games here in 2020. Hmm. Vinny I from the Sporting News is our guest. While in uh, your backyard, Cam Newton played his uh, professional career in, in Carolina. Vinny, he's still on the street. I saw a piece. Mike Tirico uh, had an interview with Gus Malzahn, his head coach, or he's a coach, one of his coaches at Auburn. Of course, Gene Chizik was the head man there. But, you know, he's, he's saying that uh, Cam Newton's hungry. Of course he is. Um, he doesn't have a job. I'm surprised he doesn't at this point. What do you think about Cam Newton potential landing spots for him? Is there one, or might Cam Newton be better off to, you know, to sit tight and wait to, to, for a quarterback to get injured, either in uh, in training camp or early in the season? Yeah, it's got to be very frustrating for Cam Newton. He's expressed that as well. I mean, just the way it went down with the Panthers. I mean, I think they gave some false hope that he would be their guy if they thought he was potentially going to be healthy. But I think they, I think he feels a little bit uh, cheated by them because they clearly weren't going to make this guy. They were pretty quick to act on Teddy Bridgewater there. So that was tough to being released after the free agency kind of period starts. And I think it was March 24th. So well into it, more than a week into it, you have a uh, Cam Newton. So then these teams started to make these quarterback decisions, uh, uh, they were fast and furious for the most part. Uh, anywhere from Tom Brady to Philip Rivers with these veterans that it seemed like a pretty heavy market, but those guys were gone pretty fast. So where does Cam Newton go now? I mean, you look at the deal James Winston got from yeah. the Saints. Penis. It's paltry. Yeah. I mean, he has a max $3.8 million, and that's just shocking for a guy that was the first overall pick in 2015. So what do you think of Cam Newton? He's got durability issues. It's been nine years since he was the first overall pick. So I don't know what's going to happen with Cam Newton. I think he's going to have to settle for a really cheap backup role, and that's going to be hard to accept at this point when you've been the main man for a long time going back to your Auburn days as the number one overall pick. So uh, I think you have to swallow your pride a little bit, accept it like uh, Javis Winston does. But, again, teams like certainty. There's a lot of uncertainty about Cam Newton now, not just the injuries, but how is he going to fit the offense? How is his personality going to fit? 
with uh, teammates, head coach, system, all that kind of stuff. So maybe just too many question marks right now for Cam Newton. And I would not be surprised if we have a 2020 where Cam Newton's not in the NFL. Hmm. Wow. Vinny Iyer joining us from the Sporting News. Vinny, let's get into the draft. It set records. 55 million people watched the virtual draft. And you know, first round that maybe didn't have some of the intrigue of the past. We didn't have you know, video surfacing of guys with bongs on their heads or anything like that. But it was still a fun, fun draft in a way to get some normalcy, I think, in the life of a lot of people across the country. Your biggest takeaway, though, as you look back uh, at the draft and what we saw. Yeah, I think uh, the draft itself was uh, very smooth. And what I saw was teams doing a lot better. Maybe they weren't overthinking things. Maybe they weren't overstressed in these tight war rooms, uh, scrambling through papers and computer data, trying to make these picks on the fly. They were just better prepared. They had to be. So funny what preparation gets you. It makes things a lot easier. It makes you make sound decisions and uh, don't make as many mistakes. And for the most part, I mean, I think I had up to – 13 teams that were in the A-plus to A-minus range. I mean, that's ridiculous. I mean, that is an honor roll of students right there with these uh, evaluators, general managers, and coaches making a lot of good decisions. So that might have helped. A lot of teams addressed their needs well. They didn't reach for players. They got very good value picks. Someone fell. A lot of uh, the better drafting teams jumped on them. So a few exceptions. I didn't really like uh, the Packers, Seahawks, Eagles, and Raiders. Those are really the four teams that stood out as being weaker to me. But everyone else did pretty darn well with either quantity or quality of this draft. Uh, Vinny, you posted your uh, your power rankings. You're updated after the draft and after this point of free agency. There's not a lot of guys out there that would move the needle, you wouldn't think, uh, at this point. I'm going to assume that looking at it right now that your biggest mover from where the t- from where things ended last year was the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, of course, with, with Brady and Gronk. And I thought they had a, I mean, Tristan Wirfs is going to plug and play for a t- 10, 12 years. Uh, maybe we're biased here at, uh, in, in the state of Iowa, but boy, sure looks like he went to the right place. Tampa, your biggest mover this offseason, Vinny? Oh, without a doubt. I mean, this team was on the brink last year. I think people forget that. I mean, they were pretty close to contending for one of those last playoff spots. The, the Rams, Bears, the, uh, NFC East uh, battlers were a little bit ahead of them, but that that was about it. I mean, they were very much improved. When you look at it, they were the number one run defense in the NFL. Todd Bowles getting in Dominican too. He's back here for the front. They got an awesome deal there last year. Shaquille Barrett, who led the NFL in sacks, they have him back with Jason Pierre-Paul for the pass rush. So it's a pretty good defense, and uh, I really like the pick of Antoine Winfield back there. Yeah, me well. too. What a pick that was. So they cleaned up the one spot I thought that was weak. I think their corners are better than people think right now. Safety was an issue. They improved its safety. They uh, also, as you mentioned, right tackle was a concern. Kristen Wirfs, they get him. Tyler Johnson, a guy we saw a lot in the Big Ten in Minnesota, Mm -hmm. I think he could be a helpful receiver on the outside for them with a lot of size. The kind of receiver that Tom Brady fits well. Of course, they had Rob Gronkowski. So many big changes for the Bucs. They had pretty good defense. I think their running game is going to be better with Keyshawn Vaughn and Worfs in there and Gronk blocking, and Brady brings it all together. So this team, uh, to me, I didn't think they needed to do a 180 to be a contender. They just had to clean things up, and now they've cleaned a lot of things up. So I think you have to put them right up there. Uh, The 49ers look strong again here, but 
Maybe this is all headed to a Tom Brady, Jimmy Garoppolo battle in the NFC Championship game. Wouldn't that be something? Uh, Vinny, two part question for you. You've got the Patriots at 19. There's still a couple of teams in the East below them, the Jets and the Dolphins. But do you recall, as long as you've been doing this uh, during the, uh, during the Belichick uh, Brady era, what's the lowest you had the Patriots uh, at this point in the season? I mean, I can't see you having them uh, anywhere outside of the top five, maybe the top three. It's just kind of jolting to the eyes to see the Patriots, and I'm not saying they don't belong there. I agree with you. Uh, as far down in the teens as you do, what was the? Uh, I guess what was the um, lowest you've had them prior to this year, Vinny? Do you remember? I can't quite remember, but I'm sure it was no lower than eight. I would say that because I mean, it's a team that's consistently winning uh, the division over and over, so that's going to put them in the top six in the AFC. If they figure. Top 12 overall, but I don't think they dropped out of the top 10. I'll, I'll be safe to say that. And with the Patriots, I think there was an argument for two things. I had them uh, graded out okay in the middle of the pack, a B-plus area there with their uh, draft. I guess I could have been harder on them for not drafting a quarterback, but I want to see what happens with Bill Belichick, and I think 19 is part of that. I mean, I think you have to put them in 19 because there's a lot of question marks that we don't know, but there's also some confidence there as well, right, with Bill Belichick and his ability to coach and uh, get his defense up to speed, um, their ability to reinvent themselves, adjust. This is a major adjustment, of course, without Tom Brady. This is one that Bill Belichick hasn't had to make for two decades. So we'll see how that plays out. I, I, I'm interested to see what the new look Patriots are like. I mean, the Buccaneers, we know what they're like. They're going to contend. Are the Patriots still going to fight for a wild card? Are they going to be able to – piece things together. Is Belichick that good of a coach where defense, the running games, special teams, they can win games that way and uh, be okay with Jared Stidham kind of being a caretaker for them? That's what we want to see for the Patriots. And uh, I think it's going to be fascinating to watch. And uh, if he gets this team to the playoffs, forget everything you've heard about any previous season with Bill Belichick, this would be his best coaching job without a doubt. So who wins the AFC East? We're looking for the last day of April prediction from Vinny Iyer. Who takes home the division title? We have to say Buffalo has mm-hmm. to be a strong favorite. Yeah. Because they were in the playoffs last year. I think I just like the mentality and direction of this team. You look at all the moves they made last offseason. They get John Brown, Cole Beasley. They overhaul their entire offensive line. They get a tight end there that they like, Dawson Knox. They got Devin Singletary in the backfield. What do they do this year? They go out and get Stefan Diggs. They go out and get Zach Moss. Two more skilled players that are going to help Josh Allen and uh, also added a little bit receiving depth in the back end of the draft as well. So when you look at that, I mean, they're believing in Josh Allen. They've given the support. They're uh, a strong phase one, so to speak, in improving him. Now they've uh, backed that up with a pretty impressive phase two with Moss and Diggs in there. Defensively, you know, this team is pretty tough. That's where they lost a few people, uh, Jordan Phillips and Shaq Lawson and uh, some other guys. But the core guys that are there in the secondary up front uh, are still keeping this Bills defense pretty strong. So pretty good, complete team. And I, I wouldn't say they're just the favorite now in the AFC East. I think they could be a real contender in the AFC here if uh, things start to feel, fall in place. And really it all comes down to Allen. Can he make that jump where you feel really confident with him? To win games, and I think he should definitely show flashes of that 
all around last season. Vinny, last thing for you. Vinny Iyer from the Sporting News. Multiple choice question. Uh, two years from now, who's more likely to be throwing a pass for a different team? Aaron Rodgers, A, Carson Wentz, B, or C, none of the above? One to go, none of the above. I just can't see the Packers doing this with Aaron Rodgers. I know the reports are not great here where that we heard, I think, from Bob again of the Athletics that this is an indication that Matt Floor, like Mike McCarthy before him, frustrated by Aaron Rodgers and the off-script, not falling in the box quarterbacking. So Carson Wentz, we know, is not going anywhere unless some injuries happen. But Aaron Rodgers will have to wait and see on this one. But Packers move on from him. I think uh, there'd be about uh, 31 teams, even with their current quarterback situation, that would be very interested in uh, seeing what Aaron Rodgers can do for them. That's for certain. Thank you, Vinny Iyer from the Sporting News. We will uh, talk to you in the weeks ahead. Appreciate it, Vinny. Thanks a lot, guys. Have a good one. Yeah, you do the same. Good to talk to you. Vinny Iyer from the Sporting News. Trent, we'll get our final break. Yep. Come back, wrap things up for a Thursday. Miller and Condon, we're 10 to noon on Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO and 106. Ken Miller, Trent Condon, Miller and Condon on 1460 KXNO. And now on 106.3 FM. Final couple of minutes here on a Thursday. Murph and Andy coming up at 2. The Fanatics in here at 4 o'clock. Morning rush tomorrow at 6 a.m. Well, uh, Trent, um, let me ask you. Wentz, Rogers, who's, who are the, uh, which one of those two, if either, is a quarterback of a new team first? I would go with... Boy, it's such an intriguing question. And well, Thank you, Trent. Yeah, it was a good one. Up all night working on that one. You had plenty of time. I did. Carson Wentz. Okay. I think the signal is there. Mm-hmm. The injury concerns remain, and because they've done it with other quarterbacks, they did it with Nick Foles, yeah. I think it's easier to pull the Band-Aid off, if you will, if you're Philadelphia. Plus, Howie Roseman, he, he does things a little bit different. Where Gutekunst, I mean, you think of Green Bay, you know, Wisconsin in general, nice Midwest people. <laughs> but they are pissed off at Brian Gutekunst. I mean, that some of the columns, some of the yeah. things I've seen on Twitter, I've never, maybe it's because of the age of Packers and the success that they've had, but I can't remember anger like this towards Ted Thompson. There was frustration, sure. Right. Well, the, the Twitter poll that came out with all the, all the quarterbacks that have thrown X amount of passes to number one picks. It's incredible. And Rodgers has thrown one. It, tr- true, it is. But, I mean, Jordy Nelson was a two. And yes. Randall Cobb. But there was a bunch of guys that were that bare, I mean, it's I get the poll mm-hmm. on one hand. Um, Trent, that, that, that franchise, that fan base, 1992 is essentially when Brett Favre took over. Right. We're about to play the 2020 season, and they've had two quarterbacks. You got to see a great 14-year run with John Elway. Uh-huh. An incredible run. And then a whole bunch of, mm, till Peyton Manning signed. Right. And even the Peyton Manning that won a Super Bowl was not Peyton Manning. No, but he was prior to that. Yeah, he the was, three yeah. years prior to that, he was yep. unbelievable. You got to see that, but there was still that gap to even get to that right. point. There was Jake Plummer, and there was Brian Greasy. and Who were decent. Yeah, but I mean, we're I, talking I take, about Hall of Famer to Hall of Famer. I would take Brian Greasy. I would take Jake well, Plummer. You're a Bears fan. Of course you would. The, the, the 
highest that I saw was Eric Kramer had a great season with the Bears. That was yeah. the best quarterback season I have seen in 35 years of watching Bears football. You know what I where I Eric was dead Kramer. wrong? I know the bar's not set re- real high with him. What was he set was he number 17? What number was he? No, that was Dave Craig. Was it Craig? Yeah, Dave yeah. Craig. I thought Cutler was going to be a star in Chicago. I know you did. I was so high on that. I was so pissed to begin yeah. uh, that because he was one of those stopgap guys between uh Elway. I thought he was more than that, Trent. I I thought that this guy cuz I just fall in love with his arm. I mean, he can sling it. But you can hear the ball cutting through the air. Right. Got that just going through, yeah. <laughs> yes. he's has the wow arm, but he's got the mm-hmm. D's and O's in mm-hmm. between the ears. I know. Not exactly a guy that's easy to follow. So, yeah. But to back to the Packers, I mean, from 92 to 2020, I mean, come on. You're due to have a bust. You're due for Jordan Love to implode. And then not just that, but then be searching. Right. And for, searching for a decade. For yes. <laughs> decades. Right. It very well could happen. I mean, the closest I would think that you could come to that would be Montana to Young. But Steve Young wasn't, he was there, mm-hmm. but he didn't get the reins for what, maybe six, a six year six, year? Yeah. Six, seven at best. All Packer fans have been spoiled. Murph and Andy will spoil their audience at 2. The Fanatics at 4. Morning Rush tomorrow at 6 a.m. Thanks for being with Trent and I. We're Miller and Condon, 10 to noon on Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO and 106.3 FM.